0: those who don't know, I get have the privilege of serving you on the eldership and looking forward in terms of kind of like wrapping um, the the serious series we um, started with I called it flow through principle and it's it's about the parable of an unforgiving servant and hopefully by the end of of uh, the series you would um have a parable, know it by, by heart almost, and with a number of times that we've gone through it. But just a, a bit of recap on the series as a whole. Just something that I felt was just that um, teaching that Jesus gave of building the house on the rock and not on the sand in Matthew 7. And what he basically said is, listen, storms are going to come. Okay, that's a given. Um, but what's in your control is whether you build on rock or whether you build on sand. And one thing that I've read up about it is that it's not just a case of finding a place where there's rock and not building on the dunes, but where Jesus was in Galilee, it was sandy almost everywhere, so you had to dig until you get to the rock. And just for us to almost dig till we get to the rock, and build on that and um, doing what Jesus said and not only hearing only. Because building on the rock is living out his principles, not hearing them. Jesus doesn't only want us to agree with what he taught. He wants us to walk in it and, and do it. And the principle, teaching, command of forgiveness is foundational to the gospel, Right? Uh, We have the good news because we have been forgiven. Jesus has forgiven us. Therefore, we can forgive. It's from that place that we forgive. And for us to bear fruit in keeping with repentance means we need to pay it forward. We need to forgive. We have been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And we have redemption and for forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1 verse 13. And it speaks of this place where our old self is no longer there. Um, or it's there. But we are a new creation. Two children excited about Children's Church. If anyone wants to go up, you're welcome to go now. Um, but we're a new creation. So 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 speaks about um, that it's if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the old the new has come. And I think when with something like forgiveness, we sometimes act out of a place of almost the old creation, or the, the old self, not the renewed self in Jesus Christ. We've been set free for his glory. Galatians 5 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the freedom which you have received. And so we're called not to fall back in our old ways, our old selves, the ways of the flesh, which basically in this case is also been unforgiveness. So we've been set free, but we need to walk out that freedom. It's not just a case of a status update. We have a tag. Um, Jesus has paid for our sins, and that doesn't. It should influence or it should change our, our, the way we go about things, our works, the way we live, and we should bear fruit of it. Um, and just the fact that forgiveness is foundational to the kingdom. I've, I was surprised just reading the word, how many times the word refers to forgive so that God can forgive you. So with that... Let's go to our favorite parable in Matthew 18 and read that together. Um, so, then Peter, can jump to that one. It's Matthew 18. So, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I say to you, not 77 times. Sorry, I'm misreading that. It says, but 77 times. Some translations go about it differently. And going on. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. And he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife, children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay his debt. And when his fellow servant saw what had taken place, They were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's amazing that Jesus took such a foundational principle and decided to share it in a parable like he did with many other things. And I mean, these days we know that sharing stories is actually a great way for the brain just to pick up things. Um, which in our age, we sometimes just learn information and data and points and things, and yet Jesus decided to to share a parable that seems very simple um, for us in understanding this this principle. And I'm going to, this morning, there's about a few areas that we are going to just unpack a little bit Um, in terms of this parable in the previous sermons I've also touched on this and uh, preached on it specifically. But something that's important to notice with this is the fact that Jesus says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, and basically describing the dynamics of a kingdom. It's not um, optional. He's not describing for some the kingdom of heaven works like this, but hey, if your personality type is like this or that, Don't worry, it's not for you. That's not what Jesus said. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And in the end, he said that if you do not forgive your... So he said that, so also my heavenly Father will do to each one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If we do not forgive, as Matthew 6, verse 14 to 15 says, then um, we will not get forgiveness. We, we know that from the daily prayer that Jesus said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And we see that score to what Jesus is saying. I mean, if that's our, our daily prayer, that's something we need to enact and walk out every day. And it goes on in Matthew 6 verse 14 saying... For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. And we said that this is, in terms of following Jesus, this is not an optional thing for us to forgive others. It's something, it's a command that Jesus has given um, as part of it and that we should forgive from our hearts now in those days i mean i heard a interesting comment that the bible doesn't speak about the brain really it doesn't say um forgive from your brain but the heart reflected our world the ways we think and all of that so when it um, refers to forgiving from your heart it speaks to that inner forgiveness that needs to take place We see in later verses where Jesus said, when you pray, forgive. Meaning that there's a place in our hearts where no one else would see that we need to forgive from. Um, And practically over this last few weeks, just delving into this, I've realized how many times I need to forgive. In the beginning um, of the parable When Peter asked how many times we should forgive, he said seven times 70. And we've learned that it's not about the amount of times, but it's the fact that we need to forgive. And what I've realized, sometimes someone might sin against you once, but in your mind, it might be like a movie replaying every now and again. You, certain circumstances might trigger it and that movie plays again. You have forgiven him for that act but maybe it comes in back again. And what I've realized just in terms of prayer is when I draw near to God and those things come to immediately almost take it captive and forgive. And we'll get to, to, to that a little bit later. But it's, it's not about working out why did the person do that and all of that in that moment. It's about our heart's reaction needs to be to forgive. Um, I mean, what forgiveness is not in Matthew 18? That's not on the slides, but forgiveness is not ignoring or forgetting. I mean, we have sayings like forgive and forget, but that's not what Matthew 18 is referring to. It's not saying we need to completely forget it's not condoning or excusing a certain behavior. And it's also not tolerating or allowing further abuse. Sometimes we need to get into another position towards the one that is sinning to get against us. Obviously, there, there might be horrible things that's happening. In that case, we need to remove ourselves from the specific scenario. And interestingly, forgiveness is also not reconciliation or restoration. So that, I mean, when I heard that the first time, I thought, wow, that sounds like that's part of the same package. But forgiveness is a one-way street. You have in your control to forgive someone. Reconciliation and restoration is a two-way street. Me and if I can forgive him or he can forgive me, but it's um, not within my power or my control how Hat reacts to me asking forgiveness over all process. Or oh, let's, I won't pick on you, Hat. Person X, it's not in my control what, how Person X um, reacts to, to, to what I. Um, I'm asking or saying so that's outside of my control so forgiveness is not reconciliation or restoration although it is definitely the start to that process and an important part in terms of starting that and it's God's heart is obviously reconciliation and restoration in many ways and forgiveness is also doesn't mean there's a blank check in terms of returning to the way things were beforehand and This would depend on scenarios. And forgiveness also is not allowing the offender to escape the consequences. Because with sins there would be consequences. This however does not mean God would not lay on your heart to um, forgive the consequences in that scenario as well. Because someone might sin against you. Um but there's something that happens in your heart, so let's say someone um Harry takes a ten pound hammer and he breaks my knee. He's from the west coast. They're quite rough. that's how they, they maybe in his previous life they did things um I mean, I might sit with the consequences of a broken leg for the rest of my life or a broken knee maybe they have to build in a piece of steel I mean I don't know how you guys do it that side but um, something like that would have to be done but I mean still there's something in my heart that happened that and I need to forgive him from my heart the, the consequences and that is a is a separate thing so I mean, Jesus commands us to love our enemies and pray for them. And what we see in Mark 11, verse 22 to 25. um, Read this verse last week as well, but just the last part. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. And if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is also in heaven may forgive your trespasses. So when you stand praying, forgive. So when Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for them, Uh, I think in the back of his mind, he also knew by praying for them, you had to forgive them. And um, there's this concept, what they call enemy mode. For those who did the Mad Days of thing, maybe you've heard, of. she refers to it. Um, And this, this guy that wrote a book, Escaping Enemy Mode. But what it basically comes down to is just another way of saying that when we have... Enemies, or we see someone as an enemy or a threat to us, our brain goes into what they call different modes of enemy mode. And in that case, you want to protect yourself from whatever you see as a, uh, perceive as a threat. And that's why or one of the reasons why I think Jesus is telling us to forgive. Because if we don't forgive, we're going to keep people... In the enemy box. I mean, some of us might think being put into the friendship box is quite rough. Imagine you're kept in the enemy box. That's even worse. And it's our responsibility to not allow that to happen in our hearts. Um, I mean, in in the workplace, in your marriage, in the different places you interact, people are going to sin against you continually. And you're going to have to forgive him. Even after I've told Harry, Harry, please leave my other knee alone. But Harry, being from the West Coast, takes his 10 pound hammer, and again, he breaks my other knee as well. And I need to forgive him. That's, I know, I'm joking around with um, something I know Harry would not do these days anymore. Um. Noit. Okay. <laughs> the point. Okay, yeah, you are from the West Coast. Um, so I'm, I'm jumping a bit around here um, with the three principles of the, the different verses that we've had. But the big thing we get to is the fact that for us to follow Jesus, if we want to follow Jesus, we need to commit to the process of forgiving. And that comes to the fact of, and have we given everything up in following Jesus? Sometimes we like the idea of, I'm going to have to give up all my money, all my possessions, and all of that for the sake of following Jesus. And maybe to an extent we do those things, but then we get to a scenario where, okay, now we need to forgive for someone that has inflicted pain or hurt on me. And then suddenly it becomes gray for us. And in giving up our lives, in following Jesus, that means we no longer decide how things work. We give that right to withhold forgiveness, we give that up um, when following Him. And in, in terms of forgiveness, the, the almost the concept, and if we go back to that parable, ...to verse 28. So we see the servant has been forgiven by the king, his debts. And I'm going to come back to that part just now. He's been forgiven of an equivalent that one could say is billions. And now there's a guy who owns him a few thousand and he needs to forgive him. And let's just read this because it's quite interesting... He says that, okay, so there's the servant who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him. He began to choke him. So many times when we experience unforgiveness, we want someone else to experience a little bit of that pain. We want to unleash some of that frustration on the other person. We basically many times want to hurt them. In maybe subtle ways. but We see here. He he chokes him. When he sees he's been inflicted pain. The guy didn't pay back his debt. And he chokes him and says pay what you owe. And his fellow servant falls down. And pleads with him. Have patience with me. And I will pay you. He refused and went out and put him in prison. um, Until he should pay that debt. And we see this guy responds and says, have patience with me and I will pay you. The same um, that the unforgiving servant did to say to the king, although he couldn't repay the king. In this case, this guy might actually repay him. And then he does the irrational thing of putting the guy who owes him money in prison. So in that time, if someone couldn't repay you, they almost became like a slave to you in basically working for you until they've paid off the debt that they owed you. And we can see the irrational part here where the guy owes him money, but he puts him in prison. It would have been better for him to say, okay, come and work off your, your debt, but he doesn't do that. And we see that's part of the, the effect of unforgiveness in our hearts. It leads us to a place where we don't think rationally anymore, we do things from an irrational point of view. And that brings me to a point that we see in 1 John four verse 18, and I don't have it on the slides, but just one writer speaks about it as our love affair with punishment. So I'll read the verse, and then I'll expand. It says that there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. For fear has to do with punishment. So sometimes, and just, there's a difference between punishment and discipline. Okay? So punishment has the intention to hurt someone while discipline has the intention to restore someone. We discipline our children so that we can learn them um, how to go about. The Lord disciplines us to bring us back to the right way, while punishment um, has the intention to inflict hurt. And with that, we, if injustice has happened to us, we have that reaction of wanting justice right so we see it in movies the idea of revenge um, resentment and punishment something is done to you and you want to repay that person in kind you want them to feel the pain that you have experienced and this we see in different ways in our lives Um, whether it's someone that. Physically, sometimes hurt us or just did something that we see as sin or infringement or on something for us. And that can lead us to a place where we want revenge, where we want resentment. And we see in 1 Corinthians 13 speaks about that love does not keep count. It does not keep count of those wrongs did, done against you, but calls us to a place of a Forgiveness, so that we let go of that um, almost hurt that was inflicted to us. We forgive a person of that hurt, and that brings us almost to a next point: is the fact that forgiveness is a is in a way walking out suffering. It entails suffering. I think that sometimes, while when we say the word forgiveness, we almost want a, a chain reaction in our mind: is okay. Someone has inflicted suffering on me um, or pain on me, and now I need to suffer for their sake. Um, And we want almost repayment of that by um, having them suffer in a way. We go into that enemy mode. We want them to repay like we see in that parable. Well, that's exactly the opposite of what Christ did for us. I mean, he died for us, for our sins. And then it cost him something. And he, he died for us on the cross for that sin. And for from a point of forgiveness, that entails us suffering for the sake of what someone did to us. We almost let go of that right um, of of requiring revenge for a certain scenario someone has done something um, wrong towards me and it's going to cost me in a sense I'm going to suffer in just letting this go I, I want to almost have him experience that pain that I experienced but by forgiving I let go of that right and giving up that right requires us to die to self and we sang that song earlier we see that also in the parable of a treasure in the field um, where a man goes out he finds a treasure in a field and he goes and he sells everything and in his joy goes back and he gets that field and it's us giving up our right to withhold forgiveness um, for the sake of receiving the kingdom so we said we need to commit to forgive forgive in following Jesus, but also it's important to realize that there's going to be a cost on our side. There's going to be suffering many times. If there isn't a cost to it, many times it's not a big thing. I mean, we, we might be quick to say, oh, just forgive, don't hold grudges, but that can discount the fact that there's going to be suffering on your side when forgiving, depending on what it is, and to bear with that. That's where the word long-suffering comes from. So, for many of us, we might think, okay, we understand that the unforgiving servant owed billions. But, I mean, for most of my life, I'm actually a good person. I haven't done that much wrong. Now someone does something against me, and now I need to forgive. Um, I don't have a, a testimony where maybe I've been saved from... A lot of bad things. I wasn't necessarily into drugs and all of this. And we might find ourselves that the price that has been paid for our freedom isn't that great. So why then is there really a reason for me to to need to forgive um, for when people do something against me? And that speaks to just if the severity of a sin against us is quite bad. Why do we need to forgive? So, really mention that in following Jesus, that's what he laid down. But it comes down to, do we think the the cost of our sin, the price that has been paid for us, is that big? And the evaluation of our sin, how do we see that? Is it, is it really as bad? And I want to bring us back to just to the beginning of that parable where it says, the kingdom of heaven is like. It's not... Only for um, some of us, those who really sinned badly in their previous life, and therefore much, they have been forgiven of much, and therefore they need to forgive much. But it's for all of us. So if if that's you, and that's something that you wonder, okay, have I really been forgiven of much? That The price Jesus paid for me, shouldn't he really have paid more? Use some of that to pay for, you know, prostitutes and other people that have really sinned. But that's like the people, and I don't know if there's anyone here, but in my mind, if you didn't make the cutoff time for the comrades, you ran for 12 hours and you came in at 5 minutes past 12 hours. I think the cutoff time is 12 hours, but let's... Just say it's 12 hours, and you missed the cutoff. You've missed it. If you came in an hour later, you've also missed it, right? Um, It's not a case of by how much you've missed it. The fact is, you've missed it. And when we look at our sin, there's nothing that we can do from our own works to redeem ourselves. Um, We can't repay it. And if we were to say, okay... Um, maybe I my sin is if we use a monetary term in terms of that parable is 50 billion. there's people that's probably 500 billion. That might be true, but the fact is, we are not even able to repay the 50 billion. So in God's mind, it's the same. Um, it's like healing. Whether you heal cancer or, or whether God uses you to heal cancer or a headache, it's a miracle. Uh, The one has greater consequences if not dealt with, but the fact that it's the same power that moved through you to heal that person. Um, And in the same way, God's forgiveness is what heals us. There's a parable where Jesus speaks. I can't remember where it is, but he speaks about the laborers that work in the vineyard. And some of them start early in the day. Some of them only join way later in the day, a few minutes before five, let's say. And they get the same wages. And then they're quite upset and say, But Jesus, hey, what's happening here? And Jesus just saying that he's the one who decides that. Everyone gets the same. And what I'm getting to is that whether you have in your mind sinned little or sinned much is not applicable. The fact is that you couldn't redeem yourself even if you think you, you have lived a righteous life. But let's say you do think that you have lived a righteous life. There's some ways to assess that. There's 613 laws in the Old Testament, right? If you do not know them, you have probably broken some of them. There's 1,050 commandments in the New Testament that can be summarized in 800 headings, and um, forgiveness would probably be one of them. Again, if you're not very aware of all of them, then you've probably broken them. And then we can look at the fact that there's sins of commission and omission. So it's not only the things that you have done wrong, but the things that you haven't done which you should have done. So by now, I think if, um, since Harry is a lawyer and he's sitting in front, if we used, had to use Harry to convict you of any of these sins, Harry, I think it would be a low hanging fruit for you and you would be successful. Because James 2, verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. If you break one, it's as if you've broken them all. The first ten commandments of the 613 listed in the Old Testament. I want to read this to you. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. You shall keep the Sabbath holy, honor your father and your mother, shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet. Those Those are the Ten Commandments, the core ones that Jesus has listed. And if we just look at the first two, you shall... Have no other gods before me. You shall not you shall not make for yourself a carved image or likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I the Lord your God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So we see this. There's quite a lot of commandments that God requires of us, just in terms of the law, if we want to go that road and look at it. And we see in Romans 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have missed it in our own strength. We have fallen short and we required God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ to pay for our sins. Um, whether you are a rapist or a murderer or you are an accomplished CA, engineer, lawyer that go out and do a lot of work for NGOs, you serve in church, all those things all have fallen short, not only some. And we see that the wages of sinners' death, the wages of sinners' death, what we deserved is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we see just by listing what the word, the Bible says in terms of the law, we all have fallen short on need of Jesus, the blood of Jesus setting us free from that bow of sin. So we are, if, if you were wondering, am I really the unforgiving servant that for which billions have been paid for? Yes, because you have received what you could not um, receive in your own strength. And just in terms of sin in general, if I like, there's a quote from Timothy Keller. It's not from Timothy Keller, but it's in his book. He quotes someone else, which I'm not going to try to pronounce. But he says, All sins are attempts to fill voids because we cannot stand the God-shaped hole inside of us. We try stuffing it with all sorts of things, but only God can fill it. Sin is refusing to find your deepest identity in your relationship and service to God. Sin is seeking to become oneself, to get an identity apart from God. We were made not only to believe in God, but to love Him supremely, center our lives on Him above anything else, and build our identity in Him. Anything else is sin. Sin is not only breaking divine rules, it's not just doing bad things, but making good things ultimate things. Think work, family, lifestyle. Seeking to establish a sense of self by making something else more central to your significance, purpose, and happiness than your relationship to God. So if we try to fill that void, and just speaking about us again falling short of the glory of God, if we try to replace God... Um, with our work, um, our achievements, even good things, even church things, um, godly ambitions. If we try to replace God with those things, um, then that is sin. That's breaking the first two commandments that we just read, that you shall know, have no other gods before me and you shall no Make no idols. We are making then idols of our work, our family, our God-given children can become idols. The desire to have a wife or a husband can become an idol. Desire to have a perfect work, career or company can become an idol. The desire to um, do something in church, in ministry can become an idol that we place instead of a place where God should be, and that's breaking the first commandment. Thus, I would want to say that we all miserably fall short of that. We all have sinned multiple times, and continually um, sinning as we probably sit here, without even knowing it, because our desires for God is not pure, and we're breaking His law 6-0. I think that comes from tennis, right? Um, And therefore, we need to be paid for with a price. And just a quote that goes with that is like St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. So we are sometimes trying to medicate our emptiness with those idols. And this leads to further sin. From that place of having those idols, we commit further sins. And the interesting thing is many times we find resentment because other people sin against us by almost, I don't want to say attacking our idols, but it influence our idols. These things that we hold very dear to us, if that's affected by someone else, that brings up resentment. I mean, with this mad days, of course, I realized, and this is going to sound very geeky, I right. said, so are you ready? I like Excel. I like Google Sheets. I especially loved it more previously these days. I don't get time to work on it. But I've had a scenario where I've built really great stuff. Um, I really think it was great. And something happened that, let's just say, didn't, um, it, it resulted in me feeling that this, the hard work that I've put in wasn't appreciated. And without me knowing, that caused some unforgiveness in me. And I realized that I got into, let's say, that enemy mode in terms of just unforgiving um, without even knowing or, or being aware of it. Um, just getting that hardness of heart, and realized that that's something that I should forgive someone of. And I just realized through that with the how easily it is to become um, resentful towards someone. And that's not even a big thing. I mean, like, who cares? It's a Google sheet, right? I mean... Rather just delete the thing. But that's where we can get to when we have idols in our lives, right? Um, We become irrational in the way we do things. And it's important for us, especially because I think for most of us, we haven't really spent nights in prison. So we don't have a rough testimony to refer to where God saved us and where we've gotten out of uh, a lot of bad things. But to realize we have fallen short just as much as anyone else. And we are in deep need of God's forgiveness. But through Jesus Christ, if you have accepted him, he has set you free from that, even though you are probably still sinning because of unidentified idols that could be in your life. So we all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. And we all are in deep need of that salvation you with me? So, like we said previously, and in Luke 17, getting back to the parable, um, the temptations are sure to come. Shouldn't be surprised by them, but Jesus said, Woe to the one through whom they come. Um, And I'm going forward to the last part of the verse. Pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins rebuke him, Sorry, I'm with a, at the wrong verse now. I wanted to go to the one where Jesus said, when you stand praying, forgive. But this is also a good one. You can stay at that one. At that last part, pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turn to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So in wrapping, we see there's a place of, there's a frequency and severity, out there. put it, in terms of how people sin against you. It might be that um, because of a structure, um, there's continual sin against you. Maybe it's telecom, not doing their work in terms of service delivery. Don't uh, shake your head too much, Gert. and um, the, I mean a structural thing it might be at your company something that inflicts some kind of pain on you it happens every day and then there might be this part of severity where you know the unimaginable happens to you someone close to you is murdered or raped or you yourself are you able in that circumstances to still follow Jesus and say cool I'm going to forgive someone that person And that's a decision that we need to make. What's going to happen when your wife, your spouse, your daughter, your mother or someone is raped or murdered close to you? You're going to be able to walk out that forgiveness. That's on the side of severity. But on on the other hand, if you've asked someone multiple times, please do this or that, and um, it it causes you great frustration, but it just keeps on happening, whether it's the, the government or your workplace, the church, your small group, are you going to forgive them? And there's obviously layers to that. And with that, I mean, in terms of working through those things, I know at some stage Yvette is going to launch a ministry, but I'm sure if you go to the info table and you ask for more information, she's not going to show you away. But sometimes we need someone to walk us walk us through that process of forgiveness. And in closing, I want to um, just mention two testimonies of forgiveness, of some of those horrible things that we sometimes hope would not happen, but what are you going to do when you get into that scenario? And the one is um, of 80 Brits. Many of you might um, have heard this, and I'm just going to share briefly, but do go and, and Google it. it. There's quite a few um, YouTube videos about it. But she's a quite, um, I don't want to say famous, well-known minister in essay. And she was basically with her husband, there were in ministry, and she was raped one evening. Um, can't remember the details, but it was basically before their whole family. And it's an amazing testimony how God prepared her. But I think the big thing was, where she and her husband afterwards had to make the decision that they are going to forgive. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of resentment that comes in, where was God, how did this happen, and all of that. But they made the decision to forgive. And long story short, they caught the guy. She was able to go to prison, if I remember correctly, and actually tell the person, I forgive you. And through a process later on, he actually became saved. And that's just something if we prioritize kingdom more than our own lives, laying down our own idols, ideals of how things should be, how God can use that. Another one is a story that I found on the internet, and they didn't give a name of the person, but it was in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. Obviously, because of horrible things that happened in apartheid. And I mean, I think it's a good one to consider because it was a lady who had a son, and a police officer came, basically shot him point blank, and then they went and put him on a fire while they partied next to it and basically burned his body. And, you can imagine the resentment and the shame and powerlessness this creates within someone. If your son, and I think her husband as well, is shot and then burned, as if his life never mattered. And in the Truth and Reconciliation um, Committee or, or Process, I'd like to read what she, what she said. When the convicted officer was in the court she said and finally i would like to like mr the policeman to know that i offer him forgiveness because jesus christ died to forgive Um, and she goes on about speaking um, how she wants to go over to him and tell him and just the fact that someone that i mean in our mind was probably a poor person didn't have much, almost had the right, specifically in our current, or in our climate back then, it wasn't that you were forced to forgive, but she decided to forgive, because of what Jesus did for her, um, after her son was um, horrifically killed, and with that, I want to ask you, how will you respond, to scenarios like that, what are you going for, Um, we mentioned earlier, that, for us, it means following Christ. It means to forgive. But there's obviously a lot of layers and things uh, to, towards that. Um, so with that, I want to just, we're going to start handing out communion. And given what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and like we said earlier, how we all fall short miserably of the grace of God, but we get to walk out that freedom which Christ has died for by forgiving others. We read when Jesus speaks about the communion in Matthew 26. He says, breaking the bread, he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many of, for the forgiveness of sins. So when we're going to use communion now, I want you to think of what Christ has done for you. The bread we take as a remembrance of the fact that His body was broken for us, and the blood is a symbol of the wine, is a symbol of His blood that was poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins. We have been completely forgiven. But it's also a time for us just to assess Is there any unforgiveness that we're withholding from anyone else? And what is the Father requiring from us? Have you experienced any pain that you need to forgive anyone for? As we partake of Christ in that, just want us, and maybe as we are handing it out and over, worship team is also going to minister to us just to take a time and just to this what we've shared over the last while we celebrate that just by remembering what jesus did for us on the cross forgiving our sins and our shame I'm just going to pray for us and then the worship team is just going to lead us into worship and also John is going to minister a song to us. Now, oh, Father, we thank you this for Jesus, what you've done on the cross. Thank you this for the forgiveness that you have given us through that and just for the forgiveness of our sins, Jesus. We thank you. Just for even though while we were still sinners, Christ died for us on the cross. We thank you just for that truth in our life and that we've been set free so that we can forgive others, Jesus. We thank you just for that. So as we are handing out communion, I think everyone has received Yeah, You can switch it off. Thanks. Just want you to while they're ministering, just become quiet and just look to Jesus in this. Just bring your heart before Him. Receive what He has done for you. Also realize that you are meant to forgive others then again as well. Maybe as as we take that time, you guys can just do it us. Thanks. While we prepare our hearts for communion, Um, We're going to sing a little melody that has come out of our congregation. It's still a simple melody, um, but it's drawn from praying Psalm 31 over our congregation in February. Um, And then from that time of prayer, this little melody came out.